Hey, FFR listeners, did you know that if you join our Patreon community, you can get nifty perks like early access, exclusive weekly bonus segments, access to our friendly Discord, and more? That's right, you can get cool stuff and help us keep doing FFR at the same time. What are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash femfreak. Somehow, the racial demographics of this fantasy world just happen to mirror all of the media that we see. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined today by two people who only wish they had more coins to toss to their witchers. Carolyn Pettit. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty. I don't have a follow-up to that. It should be yeah. noted that Ebony is uh, lip syncing along to that, and I just <laughs> awkwardly stared at her the whole time. We could do Witcher karaoke. Yo, did I just come up with a million-dollar idea? You sure Nobody did. Nobody steal that. And that would be Ebony Adams. <laughs> 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 this week, we'll be venturing into the harsh world of the new Netflix series, The Witcher, with the glummest tour guide of them all, Henry Cavill. Mm. 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 Fuck. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi, hey. How's everyone doing today? <laughs> wow. Fantastic. Well, that's Thrilled. very opposite. Thrilled to be recording this episode for a second time. What? Cannot don't wait to talk tell about them. The <laughs> don't tell them how the podcasts well, are made. Yeah, you know, it happens every every once in a great while. But we are recording this episode for the second time because yeah. both Carolyn and I fucked up. And yes. spoiler alert: all of your favorite podcasts have been re-recorded at some point. This <laughs> happens to absolutely everybody. It really does. Um. I feel like all I do is record podcasts right now because I already recorded one today and I'm recording one tomorrow and we recorded one yesterday and I feel yeah. like I might just become a podcast. Can a human become a podcast? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like yeah, the modern version of Max Headroom or something. Oh God! Yeah, I, I, I see. Think I was thinking happening. Tron. I was oh. thinking Tron, but I think similar. So, and uh, yeah. Ebony and I were thinking along similar lines there, like a human, you, you know, entering, just becoming one with podcast yeah sure okay yeah. great that's gonna yeah. be me mm-hmm. okay to your new life thanks Ebony. on the interwebs <laughs> she's, neuromancer she's staring very modernism. aggressively into my eyes trying to come I up with something listening. funny to say listeners memory <laughs> radio heads i just took some pain medication so things are gonna get real loopy by uh, the end of yeah. this show hi yeah. ebony hi also, ebony is a- right Oh, hey Um, Fun fact about Carolyn's apartment. So I live in a really old apartment with a really old kind of heating system. So if if anyone hears some loud clanging noises in the background, that is the, my pipes, the pipes in my apartment struggling to produce some, you know, measure of heat. So that's not just you... Practicing your killer drum moves in the middle of recording this? Exactly. Thank you, Anita. Yes. Cool, cool, Um, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean that with all of the meaning of the word. All right. Americans know the character of Geralt of Rivia best from CD Projekt Red's series of video games about his adventures, most notably 2015's wildly popular The Witcher 3. However, he actually originated in a series of books by Polish author Andrzej Sapkowski, and the Netflix series has the license of the books, not the games. It's a whole thing. Nobody actually cares. Anyways, still, those who have played the games will find much that's similar in Netflix's series. Henry Cavill plays Geralt, a mutant with the knowledge and abilities to deal with many a fearsome mythical creature. However, it's people who cause him the most trouble and their recklessness and arrogance and discrimination. The show's first season uses multiple timelines that leap across decades to lay out how Geralt's destiny becomes intertwined with that of young Princess Cersei, the Lion Cub of Sintra. Nope. Nope. Siri, fuck. You were doing so well. Is Cersei from Game of Thrones? 
Yes. <laughs> a I'm show that I barely beer. watched. All right. <laughs> Keep that in, Rob. Yeah, let's just, yeah, you know, it's fine. Cool. I'm cool. Um, the shows are basically the same anyways. What? Oh, should we keep this in or should we trash this? <laughs> this is the, okay. Maybe maybe this could be like a deleted scene at the end of the episode for people who listen through the through yeah. the little credit spiel. Good, yeah. good call. All right. The show's first season uses multiple timelines that leap across decades to lay out how Geralt's destiny becomes intertwined with that of young Princess Ciri, the Lion Cub of Sintra, who goes on the run when her castle is overrun by the evil forces of Nilfgaard. Okay, y'all, I don't remember anything. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we record the podcast and it's all out of my brain, so I'm like, oh, right, that happened. Oh, right, those characters. (laughs) Well, you know, one thing that I think is interesting about the reactions that I see a lot from a lot of people um, about this series is that um, more than usual, uh, I think there's a lot of people, at least on my Twitter timeline, who are reacting to the show basically with the sentiment of, of like, this show is a big fucking mess, but like kind of in a good way or like it's a mess. It's, but I still kind of like it. And normally like when people, Denig- like like a lot of times people will be like oh this game is bad but i like it it's like well just just i mean it's okay to think that it's good like why don't you just admit that you like it um but you know there is something like really messy about this show and yet you know and yet i think a lot of us still find something about it really like i don't know if appealing is the right word but it's but we don't just write it off for being a mess it's sort of like we just accept in some way that it's a mess and I can you know, never actually utter the words that I like this show, nor that I recommend this show, nor mm-hmm. suggest anyone actually watch it, but it is weirdly appealing. Like, it is compelling. I, I, like, in it its is literal compelling. sense, I feel as if I've been hypnotized by this show, <laughs> or I was when I was watching it, because at the same time that I was like, what the, what, what the fuck is happening right now in my eyeballs? I couldn't stop watching Netflix. Are you continue watching the Witcher, yes, yeah, fire up another episode. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. into it. Yeah, I don't like, and I say that in I like the show for weeks after I watched it would randomly pop into my head. Like I would randomly think about the characters and what they were going through, and not, it was not intentional. Which characters? I don't know. Well, Yennefer mostly, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, the feeling of the show and the environment of it for some reason, I just it. It kind of st- like it's like dirt on the bottom of your shoes. It's there, you can't get rid of it. That's not a good analogy at all. Anyways, I I I've said this before, but I tend to not like this style of fantasy. Um mm-hmm. that you know, I wasn't a huge fan of um Game of Thrones, for example. And it felt very much like watching that where I was, you know, kind of engaged a little bit, but more was watching it because everyone else was watching it and felt like I should. But then I actually legit couldn't stop watching it. Um, so there's some, there's something, there's something about this fucking show that makes people be like, what? Like, yeah. Anyways, we are beating a dead horse. Here we go. Yeah. I think, oh, sorry. I, well, I mean, I was just, uh, um, yeah, I mean, um, I think, yeah. Part of what I struggle with about this show is something that I struggle with about a lot of media. And that is that I, I think that fundamentally this show has sort of the perspective that, you know, um, the world is just kind of like patriarchy and like patriarchal violence is just kind of it sucks, but it also is just like inevitable. It's just the way it is. And you can like. You know, like, I mean, so, you know, there's like a spiel early on where Geralt is like the, you know, uh, greater evil, lesser evil. Like, there's just sort of the sense that, um, you know, evil is just like you kind of just have to accept it to some degree. And it's a similar thing to I mean, it's maybe this is a weird comparison to make, but I mean, when. I think about, say, the films of, like, Martin Scorsese, like, his gangster movies or whatever, where a lot of people are like, well, it's critical. It's critical of th- those men and their lives because, like, be- because they have, they typically have some kind of fall that occurs where, like, their ambition, you know, th- like, things just don't work out for them. And I'm like, yeah, but they don't, like, show a way out or show anything beyond, the, like, 
the 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 world of of the of patriarchal violence in which those men live. It's sort of like this this is kind of bad and it's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is. And I feel like there's something similar here where it just sort of reinforces this feeling of like, well, it, the world sucks, but what are you gonna do? And like I. You know, generally speaking, from my storytelling, I I like to see some sort of glimpse of like, oh, oh, at least a way out or like a transformative possibility. And I don't think that The Witcher is interested in that. I feel like it's very interested in like acknowledging things. Um, yeah. You know, there's a queen and or like women in the show will sometimes, for instance, acknowledge that like, oh, you know, I have to do this because of male custom or I have to do this because it's the way things are. And it's like, it sucks, but it's the way it is. And it's like, it's kind of nice on some level to have those oppressive structures and systems acknowledged, but it's also like, "Eh, but I wish it went. Yeah. There's no point that you think it's actually going to get challenged. Yeah. Although I, I thought that it would, I think um, one of the characters that you are alluding to Caro um, would be, Oh boy, the queen whose name I'm forgetting, but the lioness of Centra. Um, I was fascinated by her, by how incredibly fierce she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the uh, like profound kind of martial strength that she is allowed to demonstrate. And I love when we see women in armor. You know, yes. and like like beat up armor. You know, and that um, this was not. It, this was not presented as something that was so far out of the realm of, you know, like possibility or, you know, something that was so uncommon that it was like, you know, blasphemous or whatever that, that she was wearing that. But then, yeah, ultimately, I think this show is generic fantasy kind of at its smoothest and best. And by that, I mean, not generic in terms that it's, you know, like it's banal, um, but that it marks all of the markers, you know, like it hits all of the the markers of the genre. Um, And so it's, but it does it in a very modern knowing way and a winking way. So it's like, okay, you know, it's a, you're going to have this, you know, this badass who's, you know, amazing with a sword. And of course there's going to be a bard, but you know, the bard is going to be like, you know, the, the comic relief figure in a certain way that's going to be very palatable to. So it's familiar. It's appealing in its familiarity. Right. But it's also very aware of what genre it's in um, and presenting those things to you, you know? So it, yeah, as you say, like it, it doesn't really offer anything new. What it, what it does offer is perhaps offer this kind of like knowing wink. Like we all know what we're doing here, right? Yeah. Except like a, in the uh-huh. way that I think this film or this film, this series, the thing that I ultimately came out of it loving was how many different kinds of horrible women were in it, <laughs> which is a weird thing to love, but I think is right on brand for me. Because there's been a lot of talk in media criticism about unlikable heroines, which I think in a lot of ways is it unworkable and also like kind of, you know, useless flattening of character in a way. But ultimately what we do have are characters like Yennefer or Tissaia. Um There are very few women, I should say, in this, in this show that are completely good. They're very complex and horrible in very distinct ways. And I absolutely loved that. I loved that, um, oh shit, the the Nilfgaardians, their mage is this black woman who's just like, oh my God, she's unstoppable. She's this, you know, like the the face of the fist of this relentless force. Like, yeah, I was if the if this show is offering us anything new, it's carving out more of a space for uh women who traditionally have gotten on in, in most traditional fantasy, have gotten kind of short shrift. Yeah. Well, so that let us let's t- actually get into some of the women. Let's in the get show. into. Like, it. I think Yennefer. Let's just. She's the most obvious. She's a main character. One of the the major plot threads is following her. Um, and last time we were talking about this, you addressed a really important point about disability here. Yeah, I was fucked off <laughs> with the way that Yennefer, who is this fascinating character. And she is fascinating, not in spite of her disability, but through her disability, in her disability. It does not, I don't know, it's... it's and so her disability is physical in terms, in terms of the so way she, she she's looks. Got, she's got um, a, like a, like, like a 
shoulder hunch, but also her face, you know, um, her her lip has some, I don't want to use the term deformity. I'm not sure what the correct word for this is. If you've seen the show, you, you know what I'm talking about. And I think, you know, we should probably spend some time unpacking the fact that she is presented as this character who is visibly disabled. And um, she is also then revealed to be the product of um, a human and elf mating, you know, so like the notion of, you know, pure blood and impure blood and mixed parentage, it can get a little bit dicey. So, yeah, so it gets really complicated Mm -hmm. because she magically becomes like traditionally beautiful like through literally her, through like magic she demands it she yeah, she has the choice to do that and the cost of it is losing her womb so mm-hmm. she's unable to bear children and so um that brings up a whole complicated thing in this narrative because when you have you have this this complicated piece around her disability is something that she has to overcome in order to be accepted in the world which we've discussed at length on this show about how troubling that is um but also a whole part of her story arc is her becoming aggressively and violently obsessed with having a baby after she made the fucking choice to not be able to have children and i was bothered by that because it felt a lot like it was setting it up to be like i just want a choice right so it's supposed to be this political statement about how women should choose what they can do with their bodies etc cetera, etc cetera. but like she fucking made the choice so like it's not fair to conflate you know actual like like a, a movements that support women's reproductive rights and what we are people's reproductive rights and what we want to do with our bodies with her being like <laughs> But I did make this choice and I regret it. But, you know, it's, I got to live with the consequences of that. Yeah. I mean, for me, although that was problematic, I was I was more dismayed by the fact that she feels as if she will never be she will not have access to like the full range of her powers unless she is considered, you know, objectively traditionally beautiful right and although it is it is a problem that there are dissenting voices and those defi- di- like one of those dissenting voices is her lover at the time who is this fellow magical student and we see through his eyes and we hear him you know articulate like you know he finds her beautiful he finds her desirable before this change you know you should not have to be sexually desirable to someone to accept yourself but i do think it's important that the show lets us know that she is not considered hideous you know it is something she needs to overcome but the fact that she like after she realizes after her decades spent you know kind of wielding this this useless power for these puppet kings it's interesting and not at all surprising that she isn't like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the way that I was before. Like that's a, that was a, there was an authenticity to who I was that I have somehow lost touch with. Like she never, it, it never, she's never going to go back to that. That is not offered to her. But the thing that she does try and reclaim is her reproductive generative yeah, And abilities. I think some of what she's seeking too is that like she, she hasn't been able to find authentic love and, and, like, I think that she thinks that having a baby is going to, like, the, her child will authentically love her and accept her in a way that she hasn't been able to. Maybe that some of it. I don't, I don't know. The whole thing kind of annoyed me. Um, and yet she was I, so captivating. Yes. Yeah. Like that Even actor in her, is very, very good. Yeah. And also, like, I believe, I very much, like, I found her deeply annoying for the whole show until, like, the last episode. But I believe that she would go to these, like, the extremes of, like, you know, uh, using her sexuality in these ways that can be damaging to herself and others. Like, I believe that she would pendulum swing in that way to understand her place in the world and how she feels and, you know, all of a sudden looking differently. And so I I get that I appreciate that part of the storyline and think it makes a lot of sense. Carolyn, I know you had a different perspective on this. Did you well, want to share I mean, that? Sure. I mean, I guess what I said yeah, I mean, obviously, like I- I'm, um, I'm coming at this from from through you know seeing this through the lens of like my trans experience and my like experiences feeling. Um, I guess what I guess my feeling is that is that I recognize that a lot of Yennefer's impulses and desires um, are problematic and and that the way that they're tied up with disability, which is not something that I 
you know, can relate to or understand, like, that, that that's a different kind of um, set of issues, um, you know, it, that there's that there are problematic elements there. And yet, you know, I mean, as as a so, you know, but as a trans woman who, you know, I'd say generally speaking, does not have what we might call, quote unquote, passing privilege and who often has felt like invisible in the world or undesirable and who sometimes feels like, well, you know, it is harder for me to find a relationship, to find a partner, to find love, to find to do or or even just to walk into a uh, uh, a place and feel safe or seen or whatever because I'm so aware that I'm so visibly different, quote unquote. Like I do feel that there is that impulse in me of like, oh God, I wish I could look different than I do. I wish so much. Like it's like at times there has been, and particularly when I was younger. But it's not like it's completely gone away. This burning, like, why can't I just look? Um, you know, I mean, quote unquote, cisgender or whatever. And, and like, I even recognize, I recognize even that those impulses are loaded and, but, but, and problematic in and of themselves. But also like, that's the reality of the society and the culture we live in is that my life would be easier if I had quote unquote passing privilege. And so, and like, so it's like this, this thing where I sort of, you know, I value on uh, seeing women want like i uh, it's like i can understand a woman wanting a thing that yes it's it's loaded yes it's problematic yes it's like it's tied up in all of this like fucked up shit and yet like how can we not internalize some of that at times given the ways in which we are treated by the world in which we live you know like it's that kind of complicated um feeling so you know i i i it's like I could, I, I recognize that there are issues and yet I could so, still sort of like relate to or on some level felt like I could understand some of th- those impulses. And, and it, you know, I want to, I guess I want to see, sometimes I want to see like messy, like unhealthy desires on screen, you know, maybe in a way that, that acknowledges that they're unhealthy, but that, but that ascribes, but that treats them in the right way of acknowledging like, well, like society is fucked up and there are oppressions and, 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 and personal anguishes and things that come with these, that with these realities. Yeah. And, you know, I think that because there are several different readings of Yennefer in this way that can have a real impact on folks is part of why that can, even though it's this weird, you know, like eye rolly type of storyline, it's still not like there's something genuine and sincere about what she's going through and who she becomes that I think there's, there's a lot of appeal there. And I particularly like, I found her very annoying for the whole movie uh, the whole show. What do we keep calling I it? Don't know. It kind of feels like one. <laughs> we um, benched it in one sitting. Yeah, exactly. Um, I particularly liked where at the end she finally is like, Oh, it's not all about me anymore. Mm. Right. That it was, you know, the very like social justice part of me was like, yeah, you go out there and you sacrifice for the people, (laughs) you know, like that was very appealing to me. And so I'm curious, I'm really curious to see in season two where she goes with that. Like, does that last? Does she, you know, yeah, I have no idea what what would happen there. Um, One of the other things that I think is troubling about the show is that. You know, we have these different types of oppression that are ad- addressed, right? They're brought up. But the main character is also oppressed, right? Is also someone that society looks down on and denigrates and judges and, you know, verbally and yes. physically when they can. And he's a fucking light-eyed white dude. He's a white-haired, blonde white dude. Like, it's a little bit, you know, I understand. He should be oppressed because of that wig. <laughs> Any oppression he receives because of that is 100% justified. Yeah. Well, like, and so I get, you know, I think there's value to these stories about the way that we treat others and that the whole, this whole universe is about that and a lot, you know, it's, I, th- I think we will hopefully get more into the el- the elves, the elves, yeah, elves, elves yeah. Um, in the future, in like the next season or whatever, because we didn't get much of that. They're basically like the indigenous people that everything has been stolen from, but mm-hmm. like, you know. We've only met two witchers or heard of two witchers, and they're both like white dudes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. So, very early on, like almost immediately, you get a scene where Geralt walks into a tavern and is encountered with like discrimination, right? And 
I was immediately like my guard was up. I'm very uh, I mean, like because I, I know I've been in, in, in these circles long enough to know that like um, plenty of white people can watch a white character in a, you know, would be it a mutant in, say, the X-Men, you know, films or in The Witcher or what have you experience um, uh, d- discrimination, oppression, etc. cetera, uh, for who they are and be like, oh, man, that's that's a shame. Like, that really sucks that, you know, the, that he's treated that way. But it doesn't do anything to push their empathy or their awareness beyond like it's it's because the character is white to some degree that they are able to that they feel that empathy and you know it's it's like i'm just like yeah i mean oh we cannot just keep using white people as stand-ins you know for um, playing mutants you know as stand-ins for actual real life like oppressed people and expect that to to get us anywhere yeah, or because to resonate. It, yeah. Yeah. This, <laughs> this show does do one of my favorite and by favorite, I mean, it drives me completely around the bend, uh, things that generic fantasy like this often does, which is that somehow some kind of way, the racial demographics and <laughs> other identity <laughs> demographics of this fantasy world just happen to mirror all of the media that we see, you know, in like white society at large. And so this show, although there are a greater number of people of color in lead roles than I expected, nevertheless, the 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 complexion of the show is still very white with occasional like chocolate drops <laughs> in the <laughs> background. And I'm like, where the fuck do these people come from? Like, what? how do you explain visually in your mind why there are people of different races in this show? Um, and, like, race is never addressed uh, in the way that we address it in real life, right? But you have made um, real-world <laughs> oppression into a metaphor um, such that it's, you know, something that can be carried by people who are either visually white or culturally coded as white. I was thinking about this because I watched a movie the other day that was a very white movie. It was Whitey White Whites. Was it a movie that <laughs> rhymes with Whittle Lemon? <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Um, and there is one, there is a scene, a dance scene, and you see what looks like black servants mm-hmm. dancing in the scene and as mm-hmm. the background. And I was thinking like, I, I think of, I was thinking about this in terms of like when people of color get cast, mm-hmm. um, because it's always a very deliberate choice as opposed to when white people get cast, it's just normative. Mm-hmm. Um, that is it better? This is a total false dichotomy. Is it better that in contemporary shows that are happening today, like The Witcher, that you have races of people just sort of willy-nilly randomly in the world and populating the world so that it looks like a world full of people who aren't all white? Or yeah, like, I'm, do you I'm know talking, what I mean? Like, I'm talking specifically about the numbers. So, you know, if you live in the United States of America today... Sorry about and, that. And yeah. Um, and you think like, oh, okay, well, um, there are... Like, there's 12% uh black people in this country and uh 27% latinx people or whatever right you making up these numbers i'm making up these numbers <laughs> yeah. and i'm saying <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, the point is like if you think of yourself as living in a primarily predominantly white space you will see that mirrored in all sorts of media even when it's not you know necessarily and realistic is a weird word to use but i'm like okay imagine if we're watching the witcher And instead of like all of the townspeople being white, except for, you know, one or two, right? What if most of the people are brown? What does that do to your understanding of this fantasy world? Um, And I think you cannot deny that there are certain genres that are appealing because they are primarily white. And I think often fantasy tries to have it both ways, like visual in fantasy and visual media. Um, Science fiction does this uh, as well, too. So it's like, we're not going to do anything to push that audience away. There will still be mostly white people. 
But for those people who might be tempted to make an argument about the lack of, you know, diversity um, on our show, we're going to have one or two, you know, people of color in the background as thinking- serving wenches, as guards or whatever. But for the most part, they're not going to be major parts of our show. And so, you know, as I was saying, like, I was so glad that there were people of color who were lead characters in this show. There were greater numbers than I expected. But the rest of the world... I was like, can you just explain to me, like, where do these black people come from? Yeah. I was thinking about this with- Was it Rivia? What's going on in Rivia? (laughs) You should go find out. I don't want to know nothing about this place. (laughs) I'm sure there is loads of fucking lore dump on the internet that you could read if you you really wanted to. I'm determined not to read up about it. I'm just going to wait for season two to get here. I was thinking about this exact issue when um, I was watching The Haunting of Hill House, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. I don't think I've actually talked about it on the podcast yet. But um, it is about a white family, and there's four, five children and two parents, and they're all white, and it's about them. Um, so their way for them to get around the fact that they're all white people is that, like, all of the extra people, <laughs> like, all of the outside partners and whatever are are all people of color. And there's something about that choice that makes me go, oh, well, you know that this is a show about white people, and you can't have it be all white people – but you made the choice that this family's not biracial, for example, or not black, mm-hmm. um, that it had to be a white family for it to feel the way that the creators wanted to feel. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've, I've just been thinking a lot about like the ways in which media today is sort of, quote unquote, required to be, quote unquote, diverse mm-hmm. um, and what that ends up looking like. And if it actually is that way or if it's not, where it's just like, you know. Do they get points for adding all of the the secondary cast to be people of color? I think uh, people. I think there are a lot of casting folks who, yeah, pat themselves on the back because they hired two or three, and they're like, "We really did something here," you know. And it's like, if this role, if they, if this means nothing to the production, if it doesn't materially change. Um, the way this story is told, you need to figure out why that is, and if that's a benefit. You know, um, not not everything needs to be about a person being of another race. But similarly, if, you know, a person in your story, um, like if you've hired a person of color to portray a character and that person is black or is Asian or is Latinx or that should be reflected somehow. And like the way the story is told in community, it shouldn't just be like, you know. A skin tone change. Am I making any sense? Yeah, people? yeah. Probably not. There's the medicine's whole, starting to kick in. There's a whole thing in um, in casting where it's where it's like, well, can we just switch this character to a person of color without actually changing the character to reflect that they are a Latinx person in the world, and what does that mean for them in the world or what right. have you? Yeah. Um, but The Witcher. <laughs> uh, what else about this show? I hated. Hated the bard so much until like the last couple episodes, and then I was like, "Didn't you feel something when when Geralt yelled at him?" And he was like, "Okay, bye." Yeah, I did, but I also was like, "Geralt's not wrong. He's not wrong." I you also know? hated it, but him I, too. you know, I did feel for him. But by the end, I was like, "You know what, Geralt? He needs he needs this dude. Good they old Jerry. Yeah, they need to be riding Jerry. those those main trails together." <laughs> This this kid is you know keeping him on the straight and narrow. Yeah, yeah, I'm you know, there's it. a there's a way in which uh, is it Yaskier or how do you, I don't know how you say it. And and so in the games, the character is named Dandelion, um, but here uh, anyway, he has a different name in in the show. Um, is it also uh, a dude? In the oh games? yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think um, that they didn't um, call him Dandelion because that seems too fey? I don't, I, maybe, I mean, I think yes, Jaskier is probably more accurate and, mm-hmm. um, let me see what it m- means. Um, okay. So Matt, ja- it means buttercup. So it's, it's basically uh-huh. the same, you know, very similar name. It's just that we got the, tra- the games use a translation into English and the, uh, uh and the, the, the TV show does not. Um, but yeah, he, there's a way in which he kind of. You know he's the counterbalance to Ger- to to all of Geralt's uh, traits, right? Where Geralt is very uh, glum and kind and and um, you know a man of very few words. Um, the Bard is 
talkative. He's kind of, you know, fun. And, and yeah, he's like that friend who, you know, kind of maybe gets on your nerves a little bit, but also you kind of like having them around. I um, think that the, the, the contrast of them is kind of a problem. I'm going to workshop mm. this right now. Okay, okay. This might be dumb. But so there is a societal tendency for like hetero women to be attracted to stoic, silent, gruff, yes. violent men, right? Like the the Henry Cavill, Geralt character is supposed to be sexually attractive, right? And that like- Oh, yeah. Girl, don't act like you were not into <laughs> that it leather was, dude. Dude, I there is not a universe on earth where I will be attracted to Henry Cavill. Readers, Anyways. listeners, she lying. Let's, uh, let's post all about his rape apology bullshit or whatever garbage he <laughs> said. Anyways- um, so what I think happens is that the contrast between um the bard and Geralt makes Geralt seem more appealing in yes. this way that it's very troubling that that this type of masculinity I think should be challenged and not made exciting and you know blah 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 whatever is doing and stop staring workshopping it I'm sorry Ebony's just staring I'm gonna close my eyes so you can keep (laughs) workshopping it but yeah do you know what I mean like cause I was like the bard is so fucking annoying and will he just go away even though it's important for narrative tension and all of that stuff but I think it makes Geralt seem cooler because the bard is so quote unquote uncool because it's not cool to be excited and about things you know yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Witcher, the games as well, and certainly the show, I think, are, they they are one of the bajillion, you know, pieces of media that are that are a problem in the sense that they, they uh, romanticize and they normalize and, they, and men being, like, unfeeling, but also, you know, also uh, violent or at least, you know, capable of, of violence and capable of domination through violence. Um, like... It's just it's 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 hegemonic masculinity. It's like it's like just and it and it reinforces that rather than challenges it. And, and yes, you're right that that you know um, rather than being like uh, uh, the the bard being like oh this contrast that kind of is oh here's well here's a different way for men to be. I mean uh, the show centers Geralt in such a way that he is like the the quote unquote the standard or like the 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 right way and a way, quote unquote to be a man. You know, and yes, gear is like, eh, you know, like you don't really. Well, and I think that yeah. this show like reinforces either the the women that are to be appealing um, to us are either someone like the queen who fulfills all of those sort of mas- stereotypically masculine traits, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she's totally appealing, but she's a badass and she can fight and she can hold her own and she's in charge and she like talks back and she's kind of funny, right? Like. And not to say we shouldn't find her appealing, but we find her appealing because she's like a dude. In yeah, yeah there's ways, a line. Right? Or you find Yennefer appealing because she's fucking hot, right? Like there's – while there are a lot of women in this world and different ways of being a terrible woman, there's not – like it's still very limiting in terms of um, in terms of the stereotypes that they're – kind of being put into. I, I agree with you, and I would say that maybe that's why um, – although I, I did love the, the queen. Uh, the characters <laughs> that I was most interested in was the Nilfgaardian mage and Tissaia. Like, those were the two that I just – You thought. also liked Renfrey. Yes, and yeah, Renfrey, which I didn't you know. particularly like. Um, but, yeah, I just thought, God, I could watch – a whole show on to say in her fucking magic school <laughs> and the girls getting turned into slugs if they Eels. don't graduate, whatever. You know, <laughs> like I could just watch a lot more about this. And I want to know a lot more about the maids who wound up going to Nilfgaard and what's going on with that Boogle House situation. Like, so yeah, I just, it, there's, Absolutely. Oh, what but you're also here. But I think there's other stuff going on where I'm like, you were also terrible, and I'm interested in your particular flavor of terribleness. But also, speaking of race, you have the two black characters, or at least people of color. So you have the woman that works with the the witch that works with Nilfgaard, mm-hmm. and then you have the dude that has sold his soul to Nilfgaard to be able to do research or whatever, or not Nilfgaard, but one of yeah, something the one who used to be dating Yennefer. Yeah, uh-huh. and so like. They are all on the other side of what we consider to be the just side. 
Yes. And like that woman, the witch yeah. woman. Well, I is- really wish I had gone back and looked at these names. <laughs> Y'all know what we mean. Um, she's, you know, we are supposed to be against her, right? Like we are actively, you know, like, so that's kind of a problem because everyone else is, I don't know, maybe I'm. No, I, I get what you're up. saying. I guess just because I found. I guess Yennefer is not white. She isn't. I think the actor is actually of Indian uh, mm. heritage. And also in the lore, she's half elf, which is something, I guess. Yeah, but what is what does uh, we, that don't mean, we don't know yet. Who the really fuck know. knows? Um, yeah, uh, I just found those characters so compelling. And yes, I'm going to use a term that's gotten way overused recently, but nuanced. That sometimes the villain draws me in more. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> I'm all, I'm rooting for everybody black, so it doesn't matter <laughs> what cool. they're doing. Cool. All right, Carolyn. Do, do, do yeah. you want to sing us out? <laughs> Toss a coin to your witcher, oh <laughs> valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty. I very sorry, everyone. Does anyone just do you know any of the other songs? There was a song at the end of every episode, wasn't there? There, yeah, there's I like think a there was, bunch but, of them. Nobody but gave. But that a shit. was this. That's the song that has taken the internet by storm. It and sure that, like, has. It's the Baby Yoda of Witcher songs. Of yes. Yeah. All right, y'all. We'll be back with our weekly freakouts. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, oh. Toss a coin to Hey FFR listeners, did you know that if you join our Patreon community, you can get nifty perks like early access, exclusive weekly bonus segments, access to our friendly Discord, and more? That's right, you can get cool stuff and help us keep doing FFR at the same time. What are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com slash femfreak. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating in this past week. That us and this turned into one word, didn't it? It's okay. Keep it moving. Is that how? Yeah, great. Ebony, keep it moving. Do it. Oh, I'm going first? Freak out, baby. Okay. Uh, I'm freaking out this week about Knives Out. Just kidding. Although I did just see it. I did just see it too. We got to talk about it. We got to make it an upcoming episode. Um, I am freaking out about rewatches I'm doing of Vera and Shetland, both uh, crime procedurals out of the UK based upon characters and books written by uh, a mystery writer called Anne Cleves. <clears throat> Listen, my relationship to copaganda is complicated. And by complicated, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) You just like it. I like it. (laughs) And I buy into it. And it makes it real easy for me to buy into it (laughs) when there's the distancing factor of geography and awesome accents. So Vera is set in... uh, the north of England, Shetland is set in the far, far north of Scotland. And you know what? I'm not even paying attention to what's being said to the civil liberties that are being abused. I'm not paying attention to the ways that, you know, the cops are infringing upon people's rights. I'm simply listening to these people sound amazing and wear great sweaters. And I'm here to acknowledge that I'm not ever, ever going to give that up. Like Chris Evans' great sweater and Knives Out. Mm-hmm. You know what? <laughs> After all the talk about his sweaters, I was like... Yo, whatever. But I have to say, he was good in that movie. Like, I'm. Did you doubt that he would be good? Yeah, because I have the last seven things I've seen him in have been Marvel movies. Right? Oh, I've Where seen him in great, stuff outside of Marvel movies. But it's though. you know, yeah. it's it's Captain America. So I think like, I, I was have... expecting that kind of thing, and so to be reminded, like, oh no, he can actually act. Yeah, I was good. It was good. Yeah, I'm glad. Y'all, Welcome. if you haven't seen Knives Out yet. Please go see it. <laughs> All right, Carolyn, what okay. is your freak out? So this is um uh, this is a rel- I mean this is a a freak out that I am questioning the 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 wisdom of, of <laughs> using it as my freak out even as I'm gonna gonna do so uh, because I'm con- and I'm a it's a conflicted freak out in other words I'm conflicted Ooh, about those it. Those are the best. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we, we just, the, the Oscar nominations were announced, um, as we record this, they were announced yesterday and Joker, uh, which I think Ooh. is a terrible movie, just ideologically, you know, it, um, 
got like 11 nominations. It's just, you know, ridiculous Ooh. number of nominations. So, and, and yes, it's true. Uh, so Oscar's so white, like absolutely. But what I'm going to offer today is an, is an alternative, a film that, that is about a white man. Uh, and, oh, and, Carolyn, and, you're and, so kicked out of the feminist club. And but that I think is is much 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 better than Joker. That was and that, a joke. And that was snubbed by the Academy as well. And it almost pains me to say this, but uh, <laughs> so, I'm just like so much build I can't up. Wait. Now. I what can't is wait. it? What is it? Um, Tell us. So there's a film called Uncut Gems, and huh. it it stars. Adam Sandler, who is a man Ooh. whose body of work I despise I in do, terms of- I did like the, Spanglish. Okay, right. Like, I think he can be very, very good, but but I think many of his comedies do uh, re- perpetuate racism and sexism in very, like, standard, just kind of frat boy, you know, kind of ways, and that they're very disposable. In, in Uncut, so Uncut Gems is a film by these indie filmmakers- uh, named the Safty Brothers, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. And um, in this film, he plays a man named Howard Ratner, who is a Jewish, uh, like uh, jewel- New York, like jewel jewelry district uh, guy, who um, is also a a just tremendous gambling addict, and like like just cultivates instability in his own life to you know he is tremendously self-destructive and you know and i've seen people criticize the film because by saying things like well i don't believe that i you know i didn't believe that he would make the decisions that he made i have lived enough of my life around addicts that i can that i found him terrifyingly authentic and i like he I wanted to run screaming from him because he, it was, you know, he, he provoked all these feelings in me of like, I have to get away from this self-destructive and un, you know, unstable person, because if I'm in their uh, orbit, I, you know, I'm going to be pulled down with them in their self-destructiveness. Um, you know, I think it's a tremendous performance by Adam Sandler, um, and the film is just like so like it, it is it is not pleasant. It is an anxiety inducing film, but I think that that's good. Like I think that a film about this type of character should not be like, oh, you know, that was entertaining. Like I I was glad that it kind of, that I found it kind of provocative and kind of like off-putting in a way. Um, it has a really, uh, I think, stunning uh, synth-heavy soundtrack. And it has these, like, concerns with uh, the mystical and the cosmic, um, even as it's about this guy who is just obsessed with um, with uh, b- placing huge bets on basketball games. Um, Kevin Garnett uh, plays himself in a, in a very good, like, supporting role. And... You know who? Speaking of Knives Out, somebody who's quickly becoming somebody that I'm always happy to see in things, Lakeith Stanfield, oh. um, has a supporting role in this, and I'm just like, like I don't know. There's just something about him that I'm where I'm just like always like I just like seeing him on screen. Um, and he, you know, this is very much Adam Sandler's movie. Like all the other characters revolve around him. He is absolutely at its center, um, but. Um, it's yeah, like I, I, you know, if you're gonna watch a movie about a really troubled white guy, um, <laughs> consider Uncut Gems um, as an alternative to films like Joker. <laughs> if you is absolutely what I'm have saying. to watch a movie about a white yeah. guy, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, I kind of want to see that now. To be honest, weirdly, all right. My freak out is about Euphoria, an HBO show that I finally caught up on. During the holidays, which feel like five thousand wow. years ago, um, so this is a hard holiday watch, dude. It's brutal. Yeah, it's very hard to watch. Um, it is so like every ten years or so, you'll get uh, a a a very serious drama about teenagers that's very serious and real about like teenager life, um, and that's what this is. Is it stars Zendaya, who is dude? She's amazing. Like she's just absolutely incredible. Um, and she is a 17 year old teenager who has been addicted to drugs for a long time, overdosed, 
was put into rehab, got out of rehab, does not want to be sober. Um, and, you know, that is the the main character. She becomes friends with um, this other character, Jules, who is a trans woman. And it's also played by a trans woman. It, Jesus. Jules is played by a trans woman named Hunter Schaefer. Um, and she actually is interesting because she um, and her father were very prominent in and, and vocal in protesting the really uh, aggressive, oppressive bathroom laws that were trying to be passed in North Carolina. Um, and then through that, you know, became a model and an actor and is just amazing on this show. So the two of them together really just... Ugh, ugh, it's so good. Now, the other thing is that, like, you know, the show is obviously about, like, sex and drugs and, you know, teenage things um, in this incredibly intense way. It There's also a character that is the, like, the white dude jock that everybody loves. And the way that they talk about his, his privilege, um, the way they talk about his fears around homophobia, the manipulation, the the his family and where that comes out of like it's so honest and true that it's really tough to watch like this is not a show where you're going to get a happy ending you know this is a show that's going to be like no this is this is what actually would happen and this is the harm that would come out of this so um yeah it was just it was it's utterly brilliant it is gut-wrenching and brutal and i can't recommend it enough i want to give a shout out to hbo which is a weird thing to give a shout out about, but they are now requiring that um, their productions have intimacy coordinators, which is um, way, way past due. But I just want to, ch- they're one of the, I think they might be the only um, you know, production company that is that is doing that right now uh, or doing that within their production company. And a show like this definitely needs that right? for um, sure. Exactly. And an intimacy coordinator is not just about, you know, helping to map out sex scenes, you know, um, anything that is, you know, potentially like emotionally charged or sensitive. It is vital that you have someone in that role um, on your production. They also have an amazing um, trans consultant on the show, Scott Turner Schofield, who I've had the privilege to talk to before. So, yeah, like Euphoria, they went into this knowing that this was going to be hard and they needed to do it right. And so just shout out to HBO for like not half assing it, I guess. And they did, man. Woo. All right, well, you can submit your own freakout at bonusfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thank you so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Stay tuned for the freaking after party only available to backers of this podcast, which you can be or learn more about at patreon.com slash femfreak. You can find us everywhere great podcasts are found. And if you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review us. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the social medias at FemFreak. This show is engineered by Rob Para. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Join us next week for another feminist dive into pop culture. Bye. Bye. Later. <laughs> <laughs>